Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nip Tuck Coach Radio, your cosmetic surgery connection. Join cosmetic surgery Nip Tuck Coach, beauty expert, and author of Safety First, A Consumer Guide to Cosmetic Surgery, Michelle Garber, your host of the Nip Tuck Radio Show. Michelle's goal is to empower listeners and help them make safe cosmetic surgery procedure choices. This fun and lively show explores the world of beauty and cosmetic surgery and features expert guests on a variety of topics. No hype. Your host, Michelle Garber, is here today to help you navigate the confusing world of cosmetic surgery. Hi, everyone. This is Michelle Garber, and welcome to another episode of Nip Tuck Talk Radio, formerly Nip Tuck Coach Radio. I'm Michelle Garber, your host, and we're broadcasting live this morning from San Francisco. If you don't know me, I'm founder of Nip Tuck Coach, an independent cosmetic procedure consultancy. I'm also a patient advocate. You know, with the popularity of social media, there's a lot of misinformation about aesthetic procedures. And my goal is to help you navigate the confusing world of cosmetic surgery and procedures by keeping you safe and well-informed so that not only do you get a great result, but you get the best result. And to create more consumer awareness for safety and beauty, I've written a comprehensive consumer guide called Safety First, the 10 Golden Rules for Safe Cosmetic Surgery, and you can download that for free at my website, which is www.niptuckcoach.com. So today I'm delighted to finally have Dr. Alan Bauman, with us, and we're going to talk about eyelash transplants and eyebrow restoration for cosmetic reasons. Hi, Dr. Bauman. Hey, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm glad we could finally well, get this organized. I'm, yes, <laughs> I'm glad to have you on. Dr. Alan Bauman, founder and medical director of the Bauman Medical Group. He's a full-time hair transplant surgeon and hair loss expert who has treated over 15,000 patients and performed over 6,000 surgical procedures since starting his hair loss practice, Bauman Medical Group, in 1997, located in Boca Raton, Florida. Dr. Bauman is one of approximately 100 physicians worldwide to achieve certification for the American and International Board of Hair Restoration Surgery, doctors accepted and recommended by the International Alliance of Hair Restoration Surgeons and American Hair Loss Association. He's most widely known for pioneering the neograft FUE hair transplant technique, which is a minimally invasive form of hair follicle harvesting, which requires no scalpel and no stitches. Dr. Bauman was recently on the Howard Stern Show. He's been featured on The Doctor, CNN, Today Show, The Early Morning Show, Good Morning America, Extra Access, Hollywood, CNN, Dateline, NBC, Extra, and has been featured in The New York Times, Newsweek, Cosmo, Vogue, Allure, Harper's Bazaar, Men's Health Magazine, among others. Thank you. Well, thanks, Michelle. That was a great, great and thorough introduction. Thanks so much. I don't know where I have I I heard all inter- that time to do all that stuff over the seven years. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I heard you on the Howard Stern show. Um, that was very interesting. I think, does he or doesn't he? What do you think? 
Oh, well, I didn't know you were going to go there. Yes, I, I think he definitely <laughs> – I, I don't think his hair is real, and I've said that I, – I suggested to him on the show, and, um, you know, it, that's just my thoughts. I don't, I'm not here to call out celebrities or anything like that. I just – I asked him. I gave him the opportunity to kind of, you know, give us a little bit of insight into his, into his hair, and, uh, you know, I wanted to know, you know, what his thoughts were. And, um, you know, he quickly changed the subject, so take it as you will. He deflected. All right, yeah, we're not bit. going to talk about Howard Stern this morning. We're going to talk about okay. eyelashes and Yeah, because that, 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 that path went a little bit uh, down below the belt, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So right before the show, we were talking about um, this woman, Amy, who's been all over the news because she had used mascara that um, and her eyelashes came out in big clumps. So we have a tendency, I think, to abuse our eyelashes. You know, we, we perm them. We use false eyelashes. We use very thick mascara. We use um, eyelash extensions. And all of that damages our eyelashes, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, you, you, and I, you can't blame Amy or any other woman for wanting to have beautiful, thick, luscious lashes or, or beautiful eyebrows. I mean, that's, that's part of beauty. And uh, you see it in Hollywood. You see it on the street. You see it in the mall. You see it in the magazines. Uh, it's, it's all part of, of, of our beauty culture. So, you know, women have been trying to fix their eyebrows, eyelashes, and so forth since the beginning of recorded history. You know, there's like ancient Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics on how they made mascara or something similar to makeup, you know, around their eyes. So this is not something new. But um, but this kind of work, I mean, this kind of, of habit can certainly cause some damage. Well, it seems like there's been a really big focus on eyelashes over the years, especially with Latisse that came out. Okay. And then there's other manufacturers that claim that they um, their product will enhance their eyelashes. And, and we know that Latisse is the only product that will actually grow your lashes, but, you know, a lot of people don't want to use that. So there has been a lot of focus on eyelashes and thick eyelashes and long eyelashes. Have you seen an increase in your practice? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm seeing more women like Amy who have uh, eyelash damage from simple things like mascara and eyelash extensions and women who just want cosmetically better eyelashes. They want more density, more length, more fullness. And so, there's a, like you say, there's a wide variety of things that we can do. You mentioned Latisse. That's a, a, a chemical, a, a pharmaceutical agent that you put on the eyelid, and that can help keep the lashes in a growth phase for a longer period of time. And so your lashes will, look, will eventually grow longer and thicker and darker. Um, we have the eyelash transplants, which can restore density to lost eyelashes. And, you know, but, but many times, I mean, sometimes the damage is just temporary. You know, Amy came to us and she had used this very thick bombshell mascara, which is waterproof and is very, very uh, thick and clumpy. And if, if you don't use something uh, oil-based to remove it, it can really stick and, and even stick to your fingers and stick to your, your cloths and things like that. And, and when you go to remove the mascara, if your lashes are really, really weak, then you could actually just pull them out, and that's what happened to her. So when you're using mascara... And, you know, sometimes mascara is so thick and your eyelashes stick together. Mm. And, you know, some people try to comb them apart. I mean, what is the best way to remove that mascara? Or do you recommend that women don't really use that type of mascara? 
Well, I, I think they should, if they're going to use, I mean, there's reasons to use waterproof and thicker mascara, obviously. You know, it could have a better cosmetic effect for, for many women. But you have to understand the properties of that. If it's, if it's waterproof, you're going to have to use something oil-based to take it off. And there are eye, eye uh, mascara removers that are specifically designed to, to break up some of that much more thicker waterproof mascara that you guys are using out there. Um, and it just takes a little bit of practice, perhaps, and a little bit of patience, maybe, to, to make sure that you have all of those, um, all of that mascara off of the, of the, of the lashes before um, you really, you know, rub them heavily. Because it, it could, they could stick to anything, and then, again, you, you know, you, before you know it, you're missing a clump of lashes. And, and Amy was not so happy. I mean, a quarter of an inch piece, literally, of her eyelashes uh, came out with a big clump of mascara in her fingertips, I mean, in her hands. <sighs> And she was really freaked out. I mean, you know, uh, it was it was it was terrible. It was a terrible situation. And unfortunately, she got no help initially from the company. But that since has changed. So they. Uh, what's interesting is that the story I got this the story about her process, her problem, um, was brought to us from NBC here locally in Palm Beach, and the story was picked up nationally and even internationally. And I heard just recently that after she was on Good Morning America. Uh, there were reports that the story aired in China and Japan and, and in the Far East wow. as well, all over the Far East. And uh, it's been interesting to see. But the result of the whole problem that she had with her lashes uh, has resulted in a labeling change on the box of mascara. So I think that that's good overall for um, for consumers, that there's a warning at least, that you know, you're going to have to be careful with this really sticky stuff. <laughs> and that's the key. Well, that's great that they've done at least put a warning on it. Um, would you recommend that women remove their mascara every night before they reapply it? Well, absolutely, and especially if they're going to curl their lashes, right? Because if you use an eyelash curler and your mascara sticks to the curler, then you know by by using that curler um, implement, you can you can really rip out the lashes if you're not careful. So you really have to be careful. Um, using, making sure that your eyelashes are clean and that your, your eyelash curler is clean also before you go ahead and curl those lashes. Because that can stick to your lashes and pull your lashes out too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, you're, if your lashes stick to your curler, then as soon as you move your curler away, boom, before you know it, pow, you, you pulled out a clump of lashes. Not good. Boy, it's hard being a woman. <laughs> So I've there's heard. a lot we have to, <laughs> there's a lot we have to take care of. And how bad are false eyelashes and eye ext- and lash extensions? Yes, well it's the same a similar problem. I mean there's a lot of manipulation in that area going on whether you're using a strip lash that's glued on. Um, the question is well how do you carefully remove that strip without pulling on your existing lashes? And if you're using eyelash extensions, obviously as the lashes your existing lashes grow longer, Sometimes the eyelash extensions tend to fall off and they look kind of funny as, as it's growing out and they need to be removed and then replaced. But here's the thing. If you, if you traumatize the follicle too often, too many times, the follicle will not produce an eyelash, just like on your scalp. Traction alopecia is the condition on the scalp. If you, if you continually braid or pull or wear hair extensions, you can kill the follicles on your scalp. Well, the same kind of consistent pulling of the eyelash out of the follicle, whether it be by accident or by, by trying to remove the extensions or strip lashes, if you do that repeatedly, your existing eyelash follicles will not perform as well as they used to, 
and then you're going to have a bigger problem. You're going to have permanent eyelash damage. And unfortunately, many of the eyelash extension professionals um, who are not certified, who don't do this on a regular basis, or you know, maybe they just slips their mind, they forget to tell you about that, uh, that you should maybe take a break from the extensions and the false lashes for a bit and give, give your follicles a little bit of a break. Yes, I, I know some people wear, wear false eyelashes all the time. Yes. I imagine that's, that's, just, that's like wearing fake nails all the time. It, it's got to do some damage. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, hey, look, maybe it's better to leave them on than to take them on and off and on and off and on and off. I, you know, I'm not so sure about that. But, but definitely if, you, if whatever you're doing is pulling on your existing lashes and they come out of the follicle, like if you pull enough on your lashes and they come out, that's, that's trauma. That's trauma to the follicle. And the follicle can only take that so many times. Um, a lot of my patients that come to me for eyelash and eyebrow transplants are patients who have recovered from trichotillomania, which is a, a compulsive hair-pulling disease that affects usually young women, and they compulsively will pull on their eyelashes or eyebrows literally until there's no hair left to pull. I mean, and, and the follicles just eventually die from that. They don't grow back. So let's talk a little bit about eyelash transplants. How long have you been doing this? the eyelash transplants. Yeah, so eyelash transplantation has been a very fun part of my practice since the 1990s. So it, it just seems okay. it seems like just yesterday uh, a mentor of mine who's a, a brilliant Brazilian plastic surgeon taught me how to do the eyelash transplants. I, I saw his lecture um, at a hair, a hair restoration surgery conference, and he was performing the procedure at a live workshop, and his room had no one in it. Literally, there was two people in the room, and everyone else oh, was in God. some other room. And I was just riveted. I couldn't, I, I, first of all, it was an amazing and very delicate and um, just, a, just a really refined technique that he had developed. It was just uh, required finesse and it required skill. And it was just a very cool technique, literally just sewing the, the follicle into the lid with kind of a, a, an insertion motion of that similar to sewing. And I was just fascinated by that. And I couldn't believe there was nobody watching this. And, um, I, you know, we... we we kept in touch uh, over many, many months, and we ended up doing several cases together, and it was just, it's, it's been a huge part of my practice ever since. And in the early days, I remember my, my colleague surgeons, w you know, told me, oh, we shouldn't be doing anything in the eyelash area. And to me, it just seems crazy, because every woman wants uh, thicker, beautiful, healthier-looking lashes, and especially if you've lost your lashes, that can cause some problems, too. A lot of dust gets in your eye. It's a big problem. So we've done thousands of eyelash surgeries, uh, implanted thousands of eyelashes over time, and uh, it's a big part of my practice. I've been asked to speak internationally and, and write numerous textbook chapters on my techniques, uh, which have improved Im immensely over, uh, over a, a decade and a half. We're literally now implanting hundreds of eyelashes with each surgery in many cases. So it's pretty so cool. Tell me a little... Tell us a little bit about the actual surgical aspect. Like, what, How do you do this? Yeah, so eyelash surgery is a, a pretty comfortable procedure for the patient to undergo, believe it or not. Um, in terms of discomfort, there's really just a, a very, very tiny pinch of local anesthetic um, it, near the eye area, and just the tiniest little bit of an anesthesia makes the entire um, eyelid numb. But first, we have to harvest the hair. So we do take hair from the back of the scalp where the follicles are, are healthy and good, 
And those follicles in the, in the area that we harvest um, are obviously permanently removed from that area. So we do have to permanently remove the follicle, some follicles from the back of the scalp. And those follicles are worked with by a team of technicians under the microscope to create the graft. So the grafts are as follows. There's the follicle itself, which is the part of the, 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 um, the hair that's under the skin and the organ that creates the hair. And the long hair is attached. So imagine this little tiny bit of skin, literally four to five millimeters deep, and this really long hair, maybe you know, several inches long. That's the graft. And I have a technician that assists me in um, preparing the insertion needles. And the needles are just like old-fashioned surgical needles, essentially. They're very t- small and tiny, and they have a loop on or a hole, uh, an eye on one end, and they're sharp on the other. And the follicles are literally thread through that eye of the needle, and the hair is used as the thread. Once the oh, anesthesia wow. is in place in the, eye, in the eyelid area, the needle is then inserted into the lid about a few millimeters up uh, from the lid margin and then out through the lash line. So it's creating a little tunnel. And when you pull on the hair, eventually the follicle reaches the tunnel, goes in under the skin, and when you, you have to stop at the exact point that the follicle is embedded under the skin right at the lash line. And it takes, it's a little tricky, and it requires uh, a little deft and, deftness and precision, I guess. Um, and there's a little trick to make sure the curl is going in the right way that I developed. And uh, once the follicle is in place, then you just trim the hair, and off you go. On to the next one. Is and the just patient have to that awake? Yeah, patient's awake, maybe mildly sedated with some Valium, soft music is playing, mm-hmm. patient's eyes are closed, they're leaning back in a, in a position, kind of reclining, and I'm working from behind uh, to Im- insert the lashes. And the techniques that I developed, now with each stroke, we insert up to three eyelashes. So we're getting about 100 lashes on average into each eyelid. Now, sometimes less, sometimes more, but 70 to 100 is about the average eyelash transplant per eye these days. Really? Even yeah. if you have... So how many eyelashes does a person normally have? Yeah, so you're born with about 250, 200 to 250. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's usually like three rows, essentially. And um, over time, though, the lashes can get weak, gets more sparse, and sometimes it's age, sometimes it's heredity. Um, your eyelashes might be thin caliber to begin with, just like your scalp hair. Or they may be straight, they may be curly, um, they may be short, they may be long. Everybody's a little bit different. But the point is, is that um, if, God forbid, you have an accident or an injury and you've lost your eyelashes, the eyelash transplantation is the only way to restore living and growing hair into that area and look normal again. So how many um, procedures do you do today that are cosmetic versus medically? Yeah, so in the beginning, the early days, all, almost all of my patients, I would say 90% of them, were coming in with trauma. They were coming in with a dog bite and a car accident, um, all, you know, uh, the trichotillomania, recovered trichotillomania patients, you know, that traumatized themselves. But today, I think, and started around 2006, 2007, there's a huge reversal, meaning that now, today, 90% of the patients come in, they want cosmetic eyelash enhancement. So they want that Hollywood look. They want that thicker, longer, um, ultimate lash. And, you so know, you, the, you the remember, lash- Michelle, the, the, key, you know, the, the interesting part about eyelash transplantation is once the eyelashes are healed in that area, it takes about a week for the crusting and scabbing to go away. 
And then it takes about another three months or so for the lashes to start to kick in and grow. And they grow pretty darn fast, much faster than your existing eyelashes, and they grow long. So eyelash transplants come with scissors. (laughs) Yeah, you have to trim them. And so most women who have eyelash transplants are trimming their lashes just about every other week or two. So what's the maintenance? Trimming, curling? Yeah, so, I mean, you thought you had a lot to do before, right? Manicures and pedicures and all this business. Well, now you've got to trim, curl, tint, and perm your eyelash transplants. Well, not always. I mean, those are things that are optional, obviously. I mean, you know, we have women that grow the lashes so long they start tickling their eyebrows. Oh, well, that's a little bit much, I think. Well, well, what's the you're recovery? You're on the West Coast. You know, L.A. is not too far from you, Michelle, so you know that well, things yeah, are Yeah, but I'm in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> you're not far San Francisco, from so yeah, but San Francisco is different than L.A. True. I don't see women walking around with eyelashes touching their eyebrows here. <laughs> All right. Well, some of the photos I sent you earlier today, you could see that, actually. So recovery time. Recovery time is about a week, so the crusting and the scabbing go away in about a week or so. Um, Sometimes you get a little bit of bruising. Sometimes you get a little bit of swelling. But within one week, that's all completely resolved. You can't use um, mascara for two weeks. You can't use eye makeup for a couple of days. But you could use, uh, if you have a little bit of a bruise, you you could put on some makeup around the bruise area if you have that. But it's it's, it's actually, uh, uh, the recovery is very, very quick, and it heals very beautifully. So I'm curious if you, um, and, and this also you can answer in regards to eyebrow um, restoration, which we'll talk about, but if a woman comes in and she's mostly gray, how do you take a follicle that is going to have some pigment to it? Or will you find one that has pigment or not? Or how Well, does that here's work? the thing. I mean, if you're, you know, what's interesting is that most, men and women actually, you know, have this concern. Well, what's going to happen to my transplants over time? Are they going to turn gray? And the answer is, of course, they might. Um, But in the back of the scalp, usually you have a low percentage of gray compared to any other area on the scalp. It's actually the darkest, thickest, strongest, healthiest hair. And, uh, and, And pigment is usually pretty good. But, yes, there is a risk that we put in dark, healthy hair follicles into the eyelid or eyebrow or anywhere where we do transplantation. And over time, they could get gray. They could, you could lose the pigmentation. Um, you know, it, it's not uncommon for regular eyelashes to turn gray. So it, it can happen. That's what mascara is. Ab- right. <laughs> or tinting. As long as, you're, right, as long as you're careful with mascara. Um, right, exactly, and- yeah. Re- rewind and play the first part. You know, right, right, exactly. Um, and how long does this last? Is this is this permanent, or do they? I'm not going to use the word die off at some time, but um, is there a no. chance that they will fall out, or like what happens to them well, o- over well, time? The, the hair follicles from the back of the scalp are permanent, so they're going to live and grow forever wherever we put them. Now, remember, if you have eyelash damage from trichotillomania and all of a sudden your disease recurs, you know, then you, you, if you pull on your transplanted lashes, then you'll kill those too. And the same is true if you wear eyelash extensions or, or false eyelashes on top of the transplants, you're putting those transplants at risk. So you've got to be very careful not to traumatize the transplants. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you've, been through, you've been through the process, you've healed, you're growing, you're happy. You know, don't traumatize those lashes as well. 
Um, but they will live and grow forever, so you know you always got to have those scissors handy. How long is the whole procedure? A procedure takes about an hour per eye. It's it's actually with the shortest one of the shorter hair transplant procedures that we do actually. Yeah, and you'll be back. You, I mean, we feed you lunch at the end of the procedure. So you come in in the morning. <laughs> by the time the procedure's done, your lunch is ready, and then you put on your sunglasses and go to the mall. That's great. That's great. I'm not joking. Um, I would say about half of our women that come really? in for the procedure um, literally get up, have lunch, put their sunglasses on, and go to the mall. <laughs> and they probably take their sunglasses off and look in the mirror to check out their new long lashes. Oh yeah. Well, I try not to keep them too long that first day, you know, because I don't want them to get caught on anything. But, uh, you know, and that's the fun part also. Someone, uh, we just did an eyelash transplant last week on a patient who had trichotillomania as a child, as a, as a, as a young woman. And uh, here she was a little bit later on in life, and she had no eyelashes or eyebrows. We did an eyebrow transplant for her on day one, and then the eyelashes the next day. And... Um, the eyebrows, you know, it just looks kind of crusty and scabby. It's, I mean, you can see the design after the surgery, but when you look at the eyelashes after eyelash transplantation, I mean, you can see the lashes. So she was just in tears looking at the lashes, um, seeing, you know, the result of the procedure. It was really it was really one of the more rewarding cases that we do. Because normally, you know, after a hair transplant, it's just all kind of scabby, and you have to wait about six six months to see the results to come in. But with eyelash transplantation, it's instantaneous. You can really see what the lashes are going to look like when they're fully grown. Now, of course, the lashes shed out and then they come back, but immediately after the procedure, you can see them. So the patients can kind of get, get an idea of how it looks. You know. I saw some of the pictures that it. you sent me. Yeah, and, and there's an incredible difference with some of these women. And I know I, I heard you say in one of your interviews that the eyelashes are the windows of the soul. And, and they are. I mean, it, it's... They make a huge difference when you don't wear mascara. I know I myself, when I, when I don't wear mascara, your eyes just don't pop anymore. Right. You, you look know, washed out, maybe even sick yeah, or you look tired. Out. Yeah. 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 And so a lot, of, yeah. a lot of women, for example, when they go through chemotherapy, you know, they look in the mirror and maybe their hair is growing back, but they still look at themselves and they're like, why do I still look sick? And then they realize that it's the brows and the lashes that may be lagging behind the hair. They weren't trying to figure out why they look so washed out. But you're right. So if, when, if, if the eyes are the windows to the soul, the eyelashes are the window dressings. <laughs> I love that. So what does all this cost? What's the damage for eyelash extensions? Um, oh, so, well, eyelash transplants actually are, you the know, tra- you transplants, have right. it's permanent. Right. Um, eyelash transplants are about $8,000 for, for the pair. Um, and eyebrows, it really depends on how many hairs we put in. But um, normally, for a female eyebrow case, we would put in about 400 grafts, 300 to 400 grafts uh, per brow. So you're looking at six to 8,000 for the eyebrows as well. For the eyebrow. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue. Let's talk about eyebrows. So eyebrow shapes have changed over the years. They've Absolutely. gone from you know thin to thick to high to low to straight to, you know, it's just always been a change. And I know that even myself, you you pluck and you pluck, and after a while you've got nothing more to pluck because you pluck too much, and then that doesn't grow back. And so how do you come up with the perfect brow? 
for your well, patients? Like, well, that, that's a you know that's a great question, and the perfect brow is not uh, an equation, although there are some guidelines, obviously, and you know anybody can look it up on the internet to see what the you know what the mathematical equation is and how it relates to the to the nose and the shape of the eye and so forth. But the point is, is that a lot of women come in and they have a specific design in mind. So they already kind of know what, I mean, they've been looking at their face for a while, obviously, so they kind of know already what they want to see in terms of the shape. Now, if they haven't had eyebrows in a long time, then they may be open to some ideas. Some women have already had permanent makeup in the eyebrow area. Obviously, that's a two-dimensional solution to a three-dimensional problem, but, um, and, and may be happy with that shape, and so we can use that as a guide. Um, but, you know, I will draw, if, if a woman doesn't, is not sure, I'll draw something in and let them look at it. I mean, I have a certain preference. Um, you know, the eyebrows these days are a little bit thicker than the, than the wafy thin ones that we had from years ago. Um, you know, you just have to look at the runways in Europe, and that'll tell you the trend. They're all kind of big and bushy these days. So, and you know why they're big and bushy, right? You know why? Why are they big and bushy? Well, so I have a job to do. I have to put some more eyebrows back in for these women who have overplucked <laughs> like you have. No, just teasing. Yeah. But um, no, I don't know why. I don't know why eyebrow eyebrow changes. You know, eyebrow fashion changes. But yeah, it, it's certainly frustrating for yeah, women. Yeah, it like really you said. does. It, it 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 eyebrow fashion does definitely change. Um, if a patient has tattooed her her eyebrows. Yeah. and then decides that she wants um, an eyebrow transplant, will that transplant cover the tattoo area? Will you still see some of that tattoo? How? Well, uh, the good thing about experience? the tattoos, and, you know, you can say good and bad, the tattoo does typically fade with time. So if you're not happy with the shape of your old tattoo, you have two options. You can wait for it to fade, or you can have another color tattooed over it, a skin color, to cover it. Um, the eyebrow transplant will definitely provide coverage of the skin, but it can't erase your eyebrow tattoo. And this is most, most important for women who are unhappy with the shape or the look of their eyebrow tattoo. I, I find that eyebrow tattooing, just like hair transplants, come in all different shapes and sizes and, and, and skill levels, I guess. You know, I mean, sometimes you see the it just seems like the flea market eyebrows are just kind of like black blotches on the women's faces. And I, I don't know if you saw yeah. the, the eyebrows that I posted on Facebook earlier today. Yes, I did. Oh, my God. I mean, so those are just... So just to give you an idea. Yeah, so I, if, you, yeah, yeah, if someone wants to find crazy. me on Facebook, yeah, they'll find that eyebrow. Um, or I'll, I'll put it on Twitter also, at Dr. Alan Bauman. But, um, you know, if somebody wants to follow me on Facebook, they'll find, uh, you know, at Bauman Medical Group, They'll find the um, the crazy eyebrows that are out there. But the point is, is that um, you know many uh, tattoo artists and and tat, uh, permanent makeup artists will use what I would call brush stroke uh, design, which is which is good. That helps, but it's still not three dimensional. It's it's still a two dimensional representation of the brow. So um, if you don't like the shape of your previous permanent makeup, then you have to either wait till it fades or redesign it, and then go for the eyebrow transplant to get the shape that you want. So who's a good candidate for eyebrow restoration? Well, eyebrow transplant patients come in all shapes and sizes. Um, My youngest eyebrow transplant was a 13-year-old boy who had a really bad scar. And it was was great to do his case pro bono and to fill in that scarred area. Um, We've had teenage girls with bad scars, and we created the symmetry for them using eyebrow transplantation. Um, Overplucking 
certainly is a major problem. And it, it, you know, if you've been plucking and shaping for a while, then as you say, there's not much, not many follicles left to uh, to, uh, to 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 deliver the brow, and that's when you need an eyebrow transplant. So anybody looking for thicker, fuller, healthier brows um, can go for an eyebrow transplant. Remember also that you could lose your brows through uh, illness, so you always want to be looking for right. hormone imbalance like thyroid and things like that. Although fixing the thyroid doesn't fix the eyebrow. So we have a lot of patients who have had treatment for thyroid disease and still need an eyebrow transplant to fix uh, their eyebrow. And eyebrow transplants are popular in men as well because as men age, their brows look uh, shorter and weaker. And, of course, a strong eyebrow is a very masculine um, attribute. So a lot of men come in for eyebrow transplantation over 40. What's your percentage of men versus women? Um, I would say we see women to men probably three to one on the eyebrows. Yeah, maybe even four to one. But, you know, it is a very popular process for men, uh, especially once they learn just how thick and good uh, and strong a, a, a good eyebrow looks. And the question again about the gray hair, that also applies for the eyebrows. Yes. So the good thing about the eyebrow is that we can always do the, nearly always do the procedure with a minimally invasive style of harvesting. Uh, so we can pick and choose the follicles that we want. We, we will pick the dark ones, but it always comes with the caveat that maybe over time, if you do go a uh, high percentage gray, that you may end up with gray eyebrows. And, and I think men are pretty much okay with that because they realize that their eyebrows are probably going to go gray anyhow. Um, and remember that eyebrow transplantation um, also comes with scissors because you, you have to trim those. And women just have to color their eyebrows. <laughs> Another thing they have to color. Um, so tell us a little bit about the technique. Well, the technique of eyebrow transplantation, once we have the design, um, then I will, and we anesthetize the area, which is local anesthetic. Patient is awake, uh, leaning back, maybe listening to music. I will make the site for each and every eyebrow follicle with the, with the instrument a tool that's, that's sharp and small to accommodate each individual follicle. So the angle, orientation, and position of each follicle is determined by the stroke of my hand. Once I've, we've made all of the sites, and, it, and the design is really important, not only the two-dimensional design, but also the angles of the hairs to make it look normal and natural and to get the, the fish boning effect of the, of the hairs as, they're, as we get to the tail end of the, um, of the brow. Um, once all of the sites have been made, on both sides, then we know how many grafts we need to harvest. We'll proceed with the harvesting. And once we've harvested the exact number of single follicles and, that, and maybe even two-haired, two-haired follicular units that we need, then we proceed with the implantation. So the whole process takes a couple of hours. Um, patient will go home, usually without a bandage, but just a set of goggles. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that with the eyelash transplant. Mm-hmm. Same thing. No, a, go- no, a set of goggles not. to go home with um, or big sunglasses. And we'll see them uh, the next day in the morning for a wash. Most patients don't need and much pain medication. Um, you know, they might take a Motrin or a Tylenol. Some the patients do go home with stronger pain medication, but it's it's very rarely used. And how long does this procedure take? Uh, that procedure takes a good maybe three to four hours at least um, to do the, to do the job. A lot of it depends upon how big of a brow we're doing. Is it a small scar? Is it a total reconstruction? Um, you know, it, it really, it could vary, you know, it really could vary, you know, how long we take breaks in between, you know, the patient's having lunch and so forth. 
uh, resting and relaxing and whatnot. And recovery? Recovery is going to take you about a week. Um, typically, patients are a little bit more bruised from the eyebrow transplant than they are from the eyelash transplant, believe it or not. Um, but the scabbing and the crusting is gone after a week. And what about when do they see the the final results? So the, the transplanted follicles, and this isn't the case with all transplants, they go into a resting phase for a few months, and then they start to produce hair after that. So usually around 6 to 12 weeks, we'll see some stubble coming from the eyebrow area. It takes about six months to see half of the result and the full result in a year. And I would say about a third of all patients who do eyebrow transplantation need a secondary procedure, almost like a touch-up, just to refine the shape or increase the density in some areas. Um, it's pretty common to request a secondary procedure, but it's usually much smaller. And do all the grafts take? Well, absolutely. A good, very good percentage of them do. Um, 98, 99% of the grafts that we implant are going to grow hair. And I think we've become very good at storing the grafts outside of the body using some uh, pretty interesting technology. We're using right now platelet-rich plasma, not only for wound healing, but also to store the grafts while they're outside of the body. So we, we pull platelet-rich plasma on every patient. We uh, do a blood draw in the beginning of the day, spin it down to the platelets and the plasma, and that creates a physiologic growth factor cocktail, if you will, that the grafts are sitting in while they're waiting for implantation. Okay. So I think that helps. Yeah, we That's have real good take rates. You know, the, the FUE grafts, which are, are very, very small, they don't have a lot of surrounding tissue that would block the electrolytes and the, and the metabolism and so forth. Um, they're very, very skinny. Oh, they're fragile. They're, they're very skinny, and, and uh, they don't have much protection. But, but that, that small graft, um, I think, just, just takes, heals, and grows faster than our old traditional grafts that we used to do, which were much chunkier. So if a woman was going to have um, a brow lift mm -hmm. or a facelift, um, would you recommend that they first have that done and then the brow transplant, or does it matter, does it not matter? Well, I always recommend that they do their cosmetic procedures first, if, especially if they're going into the brow area. Let's get that area healed and recovered so we know what we're dealing with in terms of the anatomy. Um, you would hate to, you know, make some kind of adjustment to the hairline or, or an eyebrow and then go in for some brow procedure and it gets pulled back and, and that needs to be redone, you know. I mean, look, we see a lot of uh, cosmetic surgery procedures that need transplants postoperatively, scarring from endoscopic brows. We see um, uh, sideburns removed from facelifts. Uh, I mean, it's, just, uh, it's a big problem out there. A lot of scarring from, from procedures, and, and women, unfortunately, and men are, are not savvy to this, and, and the plastic surgeons are, you know, maybe neglecting to tell them and to warn them about these things. Yes, and, and that's, that's a really good point. Um, I, I do want to go back to that, but I, I want to ask you on the um, eyebrows, what's the cost? Uh, the eyebrow, cost of the eyebrow is based on the numbers of grafts that we do because it's done with the FUE method. So it's $10 per graft. If we're doing 600 grafts, which is pretty typical eyebrow procedure, maybe 300 per side for a female, um, it's going to be a $6,000 job. If we need a little bit more, then it's a little bit more in terms of cost. So but, you know, I mean, 6, think of the best. Yeah, uh, give or take a little bit. Again, it depends. You know, if you already have some eyebrow hair, then maybe you don't need as many. Maybe you just need 250 on each side. 
then again, a, a male brow takes a little bit more grafting to accomplish the result. But, you know, I think it's a great value. It's, it's a great value for patients because they have it permanent. You know, it's, they have it forever. Yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating, um, and it's it's wonderful that technology has evolved to to that point where we can we can have our eyebrows and eyelashes uh, enhanced and transplanted should we decide to do that. But I, I yeah, and I do want to go back to that about about hair loss after cosmetic surgery. I think you're very right um, that. A lot of plastic surgeons, they don't discuss that with their patients, and patients don't know to ask that. And you can sometimes see, as you said, the, the sideburns raised up because of the way that the surgery was done or the hairline up above on the um, forehead. And that's, that's a big problem, and that's a huge concern. And, and, I, and I do think that, that surgeons should talk to their patients about that and, and let them know that this could happen possibly and um, patients should be alerted to that. So how many uh, do you see in, in your practice of, of individuals that come to you because of that? Do I see a lot of individuals because of the? Uh, oh, because of the? They don't realize what the plastic surgery is going to do to them. You know, maybe ahead of time. Well, we see quite a bit. I mean, you know, there's a lot of plastic surgery going on here in South Florida, and um, you know, and elsewhere too. I mean, you know, even South America, we see a lot of uh, South American patients here in the area, and uh, you know, the old school techniques of the old facelifts really demolish or obliterate the sideburn areas. And so we even call it the, the Palm Beach windswept look. I mean, there's a name for that. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just how it looks. You know, it looks like the, 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 you know, from the chin to the cheek to the hairline is just all skin, and you don't see any sideburn whatsoever. So there's a, it's a lot of that. And uh, it was many years ago I wrote uh, an article about post-plastic surgery hair loss, and uh, what I realized after seeing so many patients is that they didn't. They were not told ahead of time, or they didn't go to a surgeon who was hair aware. I mean, you know, here in Boca, I, I have some very, very specific surgeons that I refer to for these kinds of procedures for my patients, and I feel confident. I know that they're going to take care and not disturb the sideburns. They're not going to, you know, demolish the hairline. They're not going to create some kind of nasty scar in the nape of the neck. You know, those are the things that could really cause you a problem. I mean, if you have a bad scar in the nape of the neck, you can forget about wearing your hair up anymore. You know? Yeah. So that sometimes we have to fill those in. And, and so uh, how and do you do that in terms of so they get hair transplants? Absolutely. When you have to fill in yeah, the so areas from the cosmetic surgery? Yeah, post-plastic surgery hair transplants would be to adjust the hairline. You know, if a, a significant brow lift changes the hairline. A lot of women think, oh, I lost hair. Well, they didn't really lose hair. They just got their, their brows stretched back, you know. And then there's, of course, a scar if they had the old-style brow lift, which was more invasive versus the endoscopic. But even endoscopic brow lifts can create a little bit of scar tissue. Sometimes those need transplants. Um, the sideburn reconstruction, we, I, we do that every month. Uh, a lot of women come in for that. So th luckily those are pretty small procedures. Um, yeah, and, that, that pretty much, and the nape of the neck, that would be the other area that we see needing restoration. Yeah, very common down here. So would you suggest that when patients do see the plastic surgeon and they're thinking about a facelift that they discuss the hair loss possibility and have and have clarity about that? 
Absolutely. If you if you have a concern about hair loss or you're, you're interviewing your plastic surgeons for a procedure like a facelift or a brow lift, be sure to ask them about what they're planning on doing and how that will change the hairline or will it, will it change the hairline and uh, uh, will it change the location or density in these areas like the sideburn and what kind of scars can you expect in the nape of the neck. And, you know, I mean, a, a good professional will let you know exactly what to expect. Well, we're almost out of time, Dr. Bauman. This, this has been this has been very informative, and I want to thank you so much. And our listeners can reach you on Facebook, Twitter. What is your Facebook page? Well, the Facebook page for the practice is Facebook.com/slash Bauman Medical, all one word: B-A-U-M-A-N Medical. Um, the, probably the best way to see what we do and how we do it is at baumanmedical.com. That's my website, and there's a lot of before and after photos there. Um, but a lot of people ask me questions on Twitter. It's at Dr. Alan Bauman, D-R-A-L-A-N-B-A-U-M-A-N. It's my, you know, my name. And, um, and a lot of patients will just call for a, a long-distance appointment. Very often we have patients that call in from around the country and around the world, nationally and internationally, and they would call 561-394-0024. Or here in the States, they can call 844-GET-HAIR, toll free. And it's very important that individuals um, know who to choose when they're having hair transplant, right? What, well, what would be the words that you would leave us with? If you're thinking about yeah. hair transplant, so what are the questions if, you need to if ask? You're, if you've got hair loss on the scalp and you've noticed thinning or shedding going on and, you're, and you know you have some hair loss in the family or you know you're at risk, whether you're a man or a woman, or you're thinking about those eyelashes that we talked about or you've had some eyebrow loss, you need to find a hair transplant surgeon that does hair transplants on a full-time basis. And this is not going to be typically your dermatologist. It's not going to be your cosmetic surgeon with a long list of menu items on his, on his uh, website. You need to find someone who's board certified specifically in hair. American Board of Hair Restoration Surgery has about 100 members worldwide. And there are about, a fifth, about 50 of us who are recommended by the American Hair Loss Association and accepted by the International Alliance of Hair Restoration Surgeons. So that's an elite group as well. And there's really only a small percentage of people that do FUE-style harvesting. That's minimally invasive, neograft-style harvesting. And that's a, that's a handcrafted, non-robotic way to accurately and efficiently and minimally invasively harvest the hair follicles. So you've got to do your research, and you've got to talk to maybe a lot of people, but, uh, but those are some of the key questions to ask. You know, if you see hair transplant on a long list of a menu items with your surgeon, that's definitely a red flag. You want to go to someone who does this day in and day out like we do. You know, we've been in you know I've been in practice 17 years. We operate on one to three patients every single day and uh, five days a week, and we've treated over 15,000 patients, done surgery on almost 7,000 patients now, and uh, it's, it's what we do. The good news is that about two-thirds of my patients may never, ever need a hair transplant because we have them on medical therapies, and that's another big part that's of, great. of being a hair surgeon. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Bauman, and have a wonderful and beautiful weekend. And I want to thank our listeners today, and you can reach me at niptuckcoach.com. I'm also on Facebook at niptuckcoach.com. And my, my Twitter handle is niptuckcoach, as well as hashtag safety first. Have a beautiful weekend, and thank you again, Dr. Bauman. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for having me on. It was great.
Thank you. Look forward to doing it again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to the NipTuck Coach Radio. Join us next week for another exciting program about the world of cosmetic surgery and beauty. To learn more about Michelle Garber, go to www.niptuckcoach.com. To consult with Michelle directly, call 415-494-7211.